Hello Princeton Spark listener. This is the full audio of You Have a Job Offer from a Startup. Now what? A workshop that Princeton Entrepreneurship Council ran in February. Our thanks goes to the Center for Career Development, Jason Meyer, Tom Vandershaft, Rachel Yee, and Greg Brooks for their participation. Thanks for listening. My name is Lauren Vander. I'm with the Princeton Entrepreneurship Council. And in case you don't know what the Princeton Entrepreneurship Council is, we, our mission is really to support the entrepreneurship ecosystem throughout the Princeton community. So in partnership with Keller and, and other organizations, we work with you know, students, faculty, alumni. Um, and so if you have any questions about entrepreneurship, you know, we're here to help you. We're in the eHub on the second floor. Um, well, a couple of things that we do that I think you might find interesting. Oh, I'm not in. There you go. This will be much easier to see. There. Um, we have a platform called Office Hours. If you need mentorship on um, your own startup or you know entrepreneurial career advice, you just come to our website, entrepreneurs.princeton.edu, and you can find a mentor and schedule some time to meet with them virtually. Or if you feel like going into New York, most of our mentors are in New York, and, and some are happy to meet in person, but it's a really rich resource. If you don't see the mentor you're looking for, feel free to reach out for us to us, and we can hopefully find somebody who better meets your needs. Um, we do a lot of events. Has anybody been to Tiger Talks in the city before in New York? Um, okay. We do the Tiger Talks events. They're really interesting entrepreneurial topics, usually featuring entrepreneurial alumni as well as a faculty member. We have ticket trained, free train tickets for students, so we make it as easy as possible for you to come um, spend the evening with us. We have two webinars coming up about funding for your startup. So if anyone's thinking about doing a startup, um, you might enjoy these webinars. We have an event in New York City, a Tiger Talks event, March 25th, on my path to entrepreneurship, which you may find interesting. Um, we do a lot of other things, but those are the things that are coming up. And we also have a podcast called The Spark. Um, there are six of us. Anne-Marie is in the back of the room. She's the executive director. Um, especially anyone with life sciences, she has a real expertise there, although she's an expert on um, all aspects of entrepreneurship. Um, Neil, who's in the back with the camera, um, he's our IT specialist. He makes things happen. My name is Lauren Bender. I run the Alumni Entrepreneurs Fund, and I'm also working on skills-based programming um, to help people who are entrepreneurial gain practical skills you know, in their entrepreneurial career. Um, and then Diane, Don, and Wright are other colleagues, and we're all happy to help you. Um, you can connect with us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. That's, I was going to say we're everywhere, but that's not everywhere, but <laughs> that, that's where we are. Um, so tonight's event is um, for people, how many people here have an offer from a startup? Just out of curiosity. Okay. Well, thank you and congratulations. Um, so tonight's is really, you have, if you have a job offer from a startup, how on earth do you evaluate it? It's hard enough to evaluate a regular job offer, but with a startup you have a lot more complexities in terms of your offered equity and you vest and what does all this mean? What does it mean for my career? You know, I have 10 friends who went to Facebook. I know what their career looks like, but what does this mean for me? So I'm really thrilled that we have these four amazing speakers here tonight. Take advantage of them. Um, there's so much content to give you. Jason is a venture, uh, is a lawyer who works with startups and an entrepreneur. 
So he, there, he can give, he's going to give you just a lot of technical information that's really important to evaluating a startup. Um, Tom is a venture capitalist. He's going to talk to you about how to evaluate a company. And then Rachel and Greg work um, in the recruiting space and really are going to talk to you about career path as, um, you know, as an entrepreneur. Rachel specifically graduated in 2019, so it was very close to your experience and I think can share um, some of her experiences and decisions. Um, so ideally, I know you guys are going to have a lot of questions, but maybe if we could let each person give their presentation first and then we've got time for Q&A afterwards. And then also everyone's going to hang out till 6.30 so that um, if you have one-on-one -on -one questions about your offer or things you're interested in, um, you should be able to speak with them. So with that, I'd like to introduce Jason Meyer, who's class of... 1980, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, ouch, I just, there goes my don't save. That, there we go. Um, open this up. Great. All right. All right, cool. Thank you, Lauren. Hey, hi, everybody. Thanks for coming out in the rain. Being good old, we go uh, Princeton rain. Great to spend time with you. Um, it, on the question thing, I think the time probably does demand uh, what Lauren said, but like I, I've totally lost you. Let me know I've lost you while I'm in the middle of talking. And the other thing is I'm in no hurry afterwards. You know, you can stick around and answer your questions. Uh, and my office is on Nassau Street, so you can always find me that way too. Um, so uh, who the heck is this alum that they brought up here? Um, here I get to add things to my after my uh, after my titles, uh, I'm a lawyer. I'm a certified uh, compliance and ethics professional. Um, I've done a bunch of entrepreneurial stuff. Uh, been in firm, big firms, general counsel for a, a venture funded company. Started uh, venture funded companies. Been on C suites, uh, ran things. Um, for your purposes, um, probably uh, the thing I'll warn you about most. Is, is the last bullet point that I added for you, uh, which is an advanced warning, which is when I was in your seats, um, I basically majored at WPRB. Now, we don't have a major at WPRB, but that was pretty much how I spent my time uh, and was program director there and then kept having ripples through my career in the audio world. Um, and, and now I'm a dad, um, including dad of people who are exactly your age. Um, both of those will be very important biographical points later on in my presentation, so I'm giving you this advance warning. Um, what I want to try and cover in the next 20 minutes is very high-level stuff, which basically boils down to, okay, they sent me, I've been talking to this startup, or I've been talking to a venture-funded company, um, they sent me a letter that says they want to hire me, what's with this letter? What's in here? What does it mean? Um, it looks fine, is it fine, how do I read it? And I wanna try and give you a very high level view of the kind of stuff that's in that letter. So part of it is what you're being paid and especially the equity or stock or piece of the action part of what you're being paid, right? You, you know what the dollars mean. Um, and if it's with a startup or venture funded company, then probably those dollars are not as high as the dollars that your friends who are going to you know, McKinsey or Bank of America are seeing, um, but it's the rest of it you're interested in. We'll talk about that. Um, 
Another thing that's in that letter is what kind of worker are you? What is your relationship to that company? We'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk about um, who owns what, um, which is not quite as simple um, an issue as you might think. And then talk some about your, your freedom of movement. What else can I do while I work for these people? What will I be able to do when I'm no longer working for these people, assuming that day comes? Um, and at the end of it, I have one real big takeaway for you. Um, so let's start with the money. Show me the money. Okay, well, the letter is going to say for a base salary of X, and you'll probably figure out what that means, and it'll say you're entitled to some benefits, or it won't, and that part will be pretty straightforward. Um, let's get right to the heart of the matter, which is the part that isn't just cash or benefits. It is compensation in the form of a piece of the action. Um, there are many different types of ways that companies um, attack this issue. I have myself written these letters in many cases, and my clients approach it in a number of different ways. Let me try and get it to a sort of simple level of definition. So... Let's say three different forms. Uh, there's good articles online that would say there's six or seven. Let me try and boil it down to three. All right, one is you get stock, okay? You get um, a small piece of the company. You have X shares, you know, you have 10 shares of our 10 million shares. Okay, well, you can figure out what that percentage is. Um, chances are it won't just be, here, have some shares. It'll be... I have shares, and I will hand them to you if various things happen. That would be restricted stock. So if you see phrases like restricted stock, they're talking about handing you those shares when something happens. So we can talk about what those somethings are in just a minute. Um, another form is stock options. And for anyone who has uh, seen the social network or any other popular accounts or been in this world, right? We all think options, I want options. So they're giving me options. Your friends are asking, do you get options? What the heck are options? Okay. Options are basically the right to buy shares of stock, to buy a piece of ownership for a certain price somewhere in the future. Um, if it's worth it. That's because you may get a right to buy those shares at a price, which when you get to the time when you can finally exercise that option, that price might be for more than that share of stock is worth, in which case you don't want to buy the options, in which case they are what people call underwater. That is, they're worthless to you. But why would I, why would I pay the company $17 a share for stock that's worth $10 a share? Okay, it doesn't make sense. But that's how options work. I have the right to buy shares in the future for a price. And then the third one, and actually I would say among my clients who tend to be privately held and not sort of big VC clients, just because by numbers most entrepreneurial companies aren't sort of big VC companies. They are more angel invested, more private invested, especially if you're really at the startup phase. So a lot of my clients use what we call phantom equity, which is you don't own any of the company. You don't get to vote. You'll never get to vote. You're not an owner. But you have a piece of paper that says, if good things happen down the road, we'll pay you a bonus. And that bonus would be as if you owned the stock. 
So, for example, why do you want to own stock? Is it because you want to cast your, you know, 10 votes when there are a million votes being cast? I really want to cast my, you know, my vote counts. It doesn't really count that much. But if you do own stock, you are entitled to make that vote. You're entitled to get a lot of information about the company. They have to inform you the same way they inform their 20% and 30% and 50% shareholder. You got to get the same documents. You get to see the finances. You get to see the resolutions. You get to go to the meetings. And this is why a lot of new employees in private equity and venture funded companies aren't given stock outright because they don't want you at the meetings and they don't necessarily want you seeing the whole board book and they don't want you seeing the financial statements because for you to do that as an employee can get awkward. Um, so instead they say, look, the thing you really wanted out of this stock was when, we, if and when, when we sell this company for you know, 10,000 times what anyone put into it, you want that payoff. And we will pay you a bonus as if you own the stock to give you that payoff. And that's how phantom equity works. Now, there's a lot more to it than that. One thing, basic rule, pardon me if you got this one already, but I'm surprised by the number of people I speak to who don't have this one down. Let's say they say to you, whatever this is, phantom equity, options, whatever, this represents currently a half a percent of the company. Well, for me, or or let's say you're coming in really early, and it's like, well, it's five percent of the stock. You're going to be a five percent owner, okay? Obviously, you're only a five percent owner, or rights to that five percent if it's one of these other forms. Today, when they sell more stock as they want to to raise more money, when the next round of financing comes along, when the the venture capital guys come along and they want rightly so, a pretty good chunk, your half a percent becomes a quarter of a percent, or it becomes a tenth of a percent, or less, right? Numbers aren't percentages, and I'm still surprised that the number of people come to me, even who are forming companies, who are entrepreneurs, and, and they have to kind of explain to their friends, hey, the number, the, the percentage that number is now is not the percentage that number will necessarily be later. I'm giving you a number of shares, not a percentage of shares. That gets into things like anti-dilution clauses and so forth. We don't need to go there for these purposes. Um, The point is, just be aware of what you're getting. Now, for all those forms of equity, there are various variables that come with them. Things like the price, pricing on options. You have the strike price or the exercise price, that is, what can I buy that share for? The typical structure would be, your op- you have the right, you have an option to buy uh, 1,000 shares for what's the stock worth today on the day you're hired? Uh, it's worth $10 a share. Okay, well, you have the right to buy 1,000 shares for $10 a share. So that's going to be worth it when you help the company grow in value, you make the stock worth more money, down the road, you'll want to buy those shares for 10 bucks because those shares will actually be worth 25, 50, okay? That's one condition, which is the price. And as I said before, if the price goes up and then the price goes down, by the time you are able to exercise those options, those options may not be worth anything. So that's always a risk on stock options. 
will the price be there when I need it to be there? So that goes in the don't count your money before it, your strike price comes due. Um, granting and vesting. So you'll see th these kinds of words. A grant is when you when your rights to that start. So it would be things like, we'll give you options to buy 10,000 shares a year, granted on the first day of the year, for five years. So it's 2,000 shares a year. Okay, You have zilch rights to any of that stuff before you, that's 10, uh, before you get to the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the year, maybe you get 20% of that, and the next year, 20%. But granting, you've got no rights to that stuff before the grant date. Then you get vesting. Vesting is the period of time over which you can actually exercise those rights, that things sort of ripen. So a typical structure would be, I'll grant you 20% of this every year, and it will vest monthly over the course of that year. Just basically means is, I'm showing you a piece of paper that says you get this, but unless you're around for five years, or three years, or ten years, you don't get all of it. Unless you're around for some minimum period of time, you get none of it. Or you'll get conditions, particularly on things like phantom equity or restricted stock grants. You'll get variables, which are things like, um, you'll get this when you meet your, uh, you know, when you meet your key objectives. We're going to define some key objectives for you, and if you meet them, then we'll open up the door to this stuff. Or if you meet your sales target, then you get this stuff. Or if the company meets its sales target, then you get the stuff. And you'll get this sort of series of conditions. So for any of these things, you need time to pass, usually, and you need these conditions to be met, or you have nothing. So this is all to say, taking the equity is a gamble. It's a gamble that the company is going to increase in value, that you're going to be there long enough for all those conditions to be met, and that while you're there, you and the company will do what's necessary to meet all those conditions. The final thing is, there'll probably be some provision about how you lose all these rights even if you're there long enough. For example, uh, on phantom stock options, it might be, but you also have to be an employee when we sign the contract saying we're gonna sell the company, right? If you decide to take that job on the other side of Brooklyn, um, you know, a month before we sell and you're gone, you get zero because you will have forfeited it because you're not here on the key date. Or if you violate company policy and we fire you for cause, you lose it all. Okay, so forfeiture is another possible thing when you put all those together. Um, there are more than three times three permutations on these things. Um, you'll get multiple conditions. You'll get multiple vesting periods and grants. It can get very complex. But this is sort of the basic vocabulary. And the question you should ask in that letter is, how long am I prepared to wait? And let me think about that time frame and what happens within that time frame to evaluate whether this grant does me any good. And that is a super high level um, for the equity portion of it. Let me hit some other things really quickly in the time I have left, and then I'll be here for questions. What kind of worker are you? Three basic kinds of things to look for in the letter. Exempt, non-exempt, and independent contractor. Non-exempt means you're an hourly employee. 
Okay? I'm going to pay you by the hour. I'm going to pay you by the day. And that means you're entitled to overtime, time and a half when you work more than eight hours a day, time and a half when you work more than 40 hours a week, etc., etc. But that also means you're probably not viewed as a particularly important person. Most of the time, it will say you are an exempt employee. And a big thing companies do is to call employees exempt, who frankly, they really shouldn't call exempt. They call everybody exempt. Okay? And this is something that departments of labor of the U.S. and of states get aggressive about when they have administrations that say they want to be aggressive about it. Um, but an exempt employee means they don't have to pay you overtime. Um, a warning, most sort of tech coders, programmers, marketing, sales, you're almost always going to wind up exempt. So it's like they may have me working 60, 70 hours a week. The amount of money I get is not going to change. That's what exempt means. And then independent contractor means you're not employed. You don't get any benefits. You have even fewer rights. They're not paying withholding. They're not paying part of your taxes um, as they would if you were an employee. This is obviously highly popular. It makes the same talent cheaper to the company. It is also somewhat risky for you and particularly risky for the company if they're calling you an independent contractor and they shouldn't. But the key thing from your point of view is if you're being called an independent contractor, you need to recognize that you have even fewer rights than an employee does in the U.S. system. Um, you have basically, you have no rights to benefits. You have very little rights to keep that job. Um, you're on your own. You're a freelancer. You might be there for three years, but as long as they call you an independent contractor, you're a freelancer and you can be gone tomorrow for no reason at all. Thank you. Um, who owns what? You're going to see a lot in the letter, or from a decently drafted letter you should, about who owns what. You'll see phrases like work for hire. You'll be asked to sell invention clauses. These are both where you say, whatever I do at work, the company owns. All of it. Everything I do at work, everything I use the work computer for, everything I use the work cell phone for, everything I do sitting in the room, the company owns it. And they really do. So um, the one thing I will tell you about is a lot of these offer letters will have some sort of schedule and it'll say something like, you know, we own everything. Of course, you're allowed to have your side gigs. You know, you can do things on the weekends or at night as long as they don't interfere with your duty of loyalty. And you have listed them here. Okay, here's a hint. When you're given the opportunity to add a list to your letter of like the other things you have going on or things you've written in the past that you want to declare you still own, pile on everything you can think of, right? Every book idea you've ever had. Um, whatever you're doing with your sister on the weekends where you're knitting something, you know, whatever it is, put it on that list. Because what will happen is the people in HR will take that list, they will staple it to your letter, they'll put it in the file, no one will ever read it. It will have, I've never seen an instance where it had any effect on anyone actually being hired. But if down the road your side gig is worth a lot of money and your old employer says, hey, didn't they develop that when they worked for us? You want them to pull that letter out and say, they declared it. We don't get it. So I'm going to take a few seconds to tell you about that one. You're also going to be asked to sign a confidentiality agreement or a non-disclosure agreement. They are super important for legal reasons. They're important for you. If part of the reason those people are hiring you is an idea you have, you want them to sign a confidentiality agreement. 
These things really matter. I can get into the legal technicality of why, but don't laugh them off and don't sign them like candy. Um, they really count and they're probably the most important weapon your future employer has to protect their intellectual property uh, as a practical matter. Um, there are going to be things in there that affect your freedom of movement, like a phrase that says you have no conflicts, you won't go do work for, um, you know, you won't go do work that will interfere with your time, that will take time away that you've promised. Um, it'll have a non-solicitation clause. That means you're not going to poach, right? You're not going to like leave the company and then call on your client that you had at that company. Um, you're not going to leave the company and then call up your friend who is a coworker and say, hey, come join me at this new gig. It will forbid you from doing that. And if you do that, you may be liable to that company for damages or you may lose some of the stuff you've actually vested in and earned. And finally, there will probably be a non-compete clause. I could spend an hour on non-compete clauses by themselves. A non-compete clause says, after I leave the company, I will not work in this industry for three months, six months, a year in the city, in the state, maybe in the country. Okay. They are very problematic legally. They are not popular in courts. In California, in fact, they're against the law. But if you're not in California, um, they still matter. And the main way they matter is your employer, now your ex-employer, knows you're not going to go to the effort to fight them over it. So they can be a bull, because they've got more money than you do. And you need the new, you know, who, who left and now got money to hire a lawyer, right? So just the fact that it's in there carries a lot of weight, even if it may not stand up legally. So again, take those very seriously. Um, this all takes me very rapidly to my one real big takeaway. I warned you, okay, I'm a radio guy. And I'm a dad, so I have a dad reference for you. My one big takeaway comes from the Real Big Fish 1996 alternate top 10 hit, Sellout. And my takeaway is, when you get that letter and you think, I don't think it'll be so bad because the man said that's the way it is, and the man said it don't get no better than this. That's what that moment when you get that letter is going to be. And my big takeaway to you is, don't sign that piece of paper tonight. Does anyone know this song at all? Right? It's completely. Come on, it was a real skate adventure. It was in FIFA 2K. Come on. All right, thank you. Look it up. Okay. Like I said, I'm a PRB dad. Okay, what can I do? Um, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, you can tell from my rush through years of legal training that there's a ton going on in that offer letter. It's a lot of terms. There's a lot of things that are technical. There are a lot of things that look super important that aren't really going to wind up making that big a difference. There are a lot of things that are snuck in there that will make a huge difference. Okay, Get someone to read it with you, preferably a lawyer who knows what they're doing. Right? It's worth it. This is your career. This is your salary. And it could also affect what you do later on. If nothing else, my office is on Nassau Street. Come see me. I'm happy to take a look at it, and then we'll see if you need, need any more than that. But find somebody. Go to Career Services. Get someone else to read that letter, because there's a ton going on in it. Don't sign that piece of paper tonight. Get some advice. Okay, thank you. Great, thank you. 
So next up, Tom Vanderschaff is going to, so if you're listening to one of the things Jason said, when you're looking at this company, you're trying to figure out, is it going to be around? My, are my options going to be worth more you know, when I invest in them in three years than they are today? And to figure that out, obviously no one can know, but to make a more educated guess, you actually have to evaluate the company that you're thinking about working for as a VC would. And so we have Tom Vanderschaff, who is going to walk us through that process. Um, he is a VC for Edison Partners here in Princeton. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Um, I only have three slides, um, just, but uh, I've already ruined my credibility probably because I can't even get the month right. Um, but um, notwithstanding that, I've, I've worked in uh, principal activity for over 20 years. Um, and uh, before that, I'd worked in, in corporate finance um, straight out of school. I was an undergrad, 96 year, um, as well as worked on some entrepreneurial things as well. Um, but uh, Edison, uh, we're a, um, uh, you can think of us as a venture capital firm. We, we gather capital from institutions like endowments and foundations and then invested in their uh, behalf in uh in private companies. Um, we're a long-only strategy, so we're trying to buy low and sell high. And so we thought it might be instructive to uh, share some of the ways that we think about evaluating companies um, uh, so that you might use them. Uh, but again, we have a specific focus, and I'll go into it on the next slide. Um, it may not... Uh, do I just need space? There we go. Okay. Um, it may or may not be applicable to uh, the situations that you're evaluating, but there'll be similar concepts. Um, so um, the advantage we have is we're, we're investing in portfolios, right? We're building portfolios, in our case, of 20 or more companies per pool of capital. You're basically making a, a single selection. Um, that's a little more difficult. Um, you're investing sweat equity instead of dollars. Um, I do want to preface this by saying, like, if your uh, idea is you're going to uh, magically pick the next Facebook and be the first five or 10th employee, um, you might as well start buying lotto tickets because that's a really difficult proposition. Um, there's a lot of other uh, reasons to go to startups, um, but um, the likelihood you uh, out of the gate pick something that's uh, life-changing in an economic sense for yourself is, is relatively low. Um, so you should bear that in mind as you go through your uh, thought process. Uh, but there's lots of reasons. Um, to work with startups um, beyond just uh, pure uh, economics. But um, in terms of Edison's positioning and the kind of things that we find attractive, um, so we're a, a growth equity uh, investor. We invest in companies that have already had some commercial traction. Um, we look for companies in the B2B space, which means they sell solutions um, to businesses. Their customers are our businesses. And so we partner with entrepreneurs um, to help build those companies more quickly um, because they may have uh, had a, a good deal of success, um, but they're struggling with how to build out their management teams or grow more quickly. It's a, a stage of uh, evolution in many companies where they may get to uh, five to 20 million in revenue um, and they need uh, a partner like ourselves to help uh, grow uh, more quickly to, to higher goals. Um, uh, so we're not a startup investor in the pure sense of um, the sort of industry parlance, which is a startup is basically pre-revenue and, um, you know, a few uh, employees most often. Um, but there are also startups that can be thousands of employees, like Tesla, right? That was a startup that consumed millions, hundreds of millions, and then billions of dollars quite quickly um, in just a very short uh, period of time. 
Um, that's only to say there's lots of different kinds of uh, industries and startups that you could explore. Um, the way that we look at uh, an investment, um, and you look at, again, we have the advantage of looking at um, several hundred for each investment that we make. Um, we look at, at different criteria, different aspects of the companies um, to better understand what uh, fits well, um, either in terms of a return profile or a risk profile uh, that we prefer. And so these are some examples of things that we look for um, that may or may not be applicable uh, for you, but um, we're, we're usually the first institutional capital investing in a company. Um, that means that they've been quite creative uh, to get to the, where they have gotten to um, with little to no backing um, from others. That's usually a sign that uh, the entrepreneurial team that's there um, has a lot of stick-to-itiveness um, and is, uh, is well-versed in their uh, industry um, to build something of, of value um, with little to no uh, outside help. Um, we're often uh, fairly active investors, so a, a key part of uh, our evaluation is how well are we going to partner with the folks that are uh, building the company because we're not day-to-day -day, uh, operators in the business. We're uh, partnering um, and working as advisors with uh, with people, which is a bit of a contrast from, I think, the decisions that, that you are, are thinking about. But very similarly, I think you're going to want to focus um, most of your attention on uh, the people that you're partnering with to get a better sense for um, who they are and what they'll be like to work with. Um, but also, I think a part that's probably uh, applicable for, for both investors as well as uh, employees. How much are they going to invest in you in terms of your learning? Um, that's the intellectual uh, building um, and mentoring that you can uh, have if you make the right selection, probably considerably more valuable than, uh, no offense, the, the equity you might get out of the box because you're going to be able to parlay that throughout your career. Um, and so I would, I, would, uh, I would put a heavy onus on, on uh, evaluating the people and making sure that they're up. Uh, they're truly going to invest in you and uh, and mentor you. Um, it may the payoff may take uh, some time, but it's it's uh, probably uh, going to lead you to much uh, uh, much higher heights uh, over time. Um, and then uh, you know you can look at different things um, about the financial performance of, of companies. Our goal is to invest in companies that have gotten to some commercial success. Um, so we we measure that by revenue, um, by growth of the business year over year. These are things that are important um, that will help establish uh, for you some baseline of how the company is performing and how, uh, well, past results may not necessarily assure you of any future results kind of thing. Um, it'll help you get a sense for what uh, it could accomplish, um, particularly with capital uh, in the future um, and hopefully build your equity value. Um, so why don't I stop there? I guess I, I guess we're not supposed to do this, but. Um, I was going to ask if there are any questions on, in particular about um, our business, uh, how we look at uh, companies before we talk about um, some of the things I think you uh, might want to look at as you uh, consider joining startups. No, I mean, go, go ahead. Just go ahead. Okay. Oh, I mean, if, if there was a question, this is a fairly technical slide. Okay. Go to the next one. Right. <clears throat> um, so what I've offered you here are a couple of samples. Um, they're uh, just ways that we look at um, both uh, scoring companies, again, because we look at uh, large volume, as well as uh, people. Um, and it, it's, I think, a useful heuristic for you to consider um, is rather than using sort of anecdotal reasoning or uh, look across the breadth of your opportunities that you're considering 
and use some objective measures, whatever it is that you're uh, finding important about your goals um, and the opportunity that you're considering. Um, I would recommend that you look at more than one, uh, first of all, and then look at uh, how they compare. Um, and it's usually helpful to have a, a fairly disciplined, um, regimented way of doing so, because uh, it'll help uh, you more easily discern uh, the pros and cons um, with each opportunity. Um, but for instance, um, I tried to distill it. So this is, these are the kind of things on the, the left here uh, that we might look at in a company, aspects of its uh, market. Um, is it a growth market? Is it an interesting market? What, whatever aspect of the market that um, may be appealing for you. Um, is the company uh, currently or prospectively a leader in its market? Or is it very commoditized and um, having a difficult time differentiating itself? These are things that, um, as an investor, are important. And I think um, for your uh, sake, figuring out the longevity of the opportunity that you have in front of you, and is it a highly uh, evolving marketplace, um, could add to the excitement uh, and the learning, or uh, could be a warning sign of the risks levels. Um, as I mentioned, uh, growth and kind of uh, traction in, in markets, um, those are easy things to measure if, uh, if the companies will share enough information. So you need to ask um, pretty proactive uh, probing questions. Um, they're not similar to the uh, discussion around your employment letter, most companies are going to be relatively secretive about their information with prospective employees. They're not just going to tell you that they have X number of customers or Y amount of revenue. Um, they, uh, so you need to ask specific questions and more often than not, you'll get at least a directional sense of uh, the size and scale of the opportunity. And then you need to fit that with your own parameters of what you think are uh, is valuable, right? Like it's, it can be exciting if you're the uh, getting in at the ground floor, right? Um, but you have to be cognizant that that risk level is very, very different than if you're going to go join Google, okay? Um, well, now, um, but if you, you know, join Google in 98, that, that'd be a different story, right? Um, so you have to be thinking about how uh, and what your goals are. Um, but so there's, there's those objective measures of the company, um, and you can go through each. Um, as an investor, we go through uh, pretty extensive looks at each functional area within it company that may be germane um, for you, depending on the role that you're uh, deciding upon uh, in the company. So if you're um, doing something um, like development, um, you'll probably want to uh, get into a good deal of detail about their product um, and their uh, architecture and their plans uh, for the future. Because, uh, But similarly, that may not be all that terribly interesting if you're anticipating joining a, a go-to-market function like uh, sales or, or marketing. Um, so uh, I think these are fairly obvious things, but you want to learn as much as you can about the specific role um, and the department that you're, uh, you're joining. Um, if uh, I could reemphasize one critical point, though, it's, it's mostly about the people. Um, the thing that uh, you should probably think through first is your, are your goals, right? I just listed a few. Um, I think uh, it's not all that terribly different than any other job search. Right. You're going to want to figure out, is this going to be a learning experience? Is it going to be intellectually challenging or stimulating for you? Um, the good news is most startup ventures are often as much by uh, mistakes made um, and trying to recover from those as by success. But it's still a, a pretty neat um, space in which, uh, in general, um, the uh, opportunity to learn from mistakes is not um, 
like a lifetime time, uh, penalty, right? You're not uh, permanently um, struggling in an industry if you're marked by a failure. In fact, uh, in some of the uh, more entrepreneurial uh, networks, it's sort of a badge of honor to say you worked at three or four failed uh, companies. Uh, but that's not really what you want to do, uh, but uh, it's still uh, some good learning experience. Um, and then, uh, so that's the uh, kind of learning experience. Uh, another uh, key attribute could be um, again, related to the people, um, are these folks that you could uh, envision working with uh, quite some time? Um, are they going to afford you uh, connections that are of value to you over the course of your career? Um, this is one that I, I, I personally didn't, um, didn't think heavily enough about when I came out of school, and I was just fortunate to fall into good relationships with people. Um, that uh, Some of the first uh, folks that I worked with out of school, I still... Uh, regularly communicate and, and talk with, and um, they've been uh, a huge um, uh, of great uh, value for me over the course of my career. So I'd encourage you to, to really think about each of the people you're talking with in the company um, on that basis. This is someone that you could see um, helping you, uh, and reciprocally, you helping them um, over uh, more than just the, uh, the initial job. Um, you could have a, a lot of other goals, right? Like altruistic, change the world, um, fulfill some kind of mission. Um, you know, these, these are all things that you kind of have to self-reflect and decide on what's important and is there alignment with the company's mission. Um, most companies, well, most of the companies that investors back are there to build equity value, right? Like they're there to um, produce a product that they in turn uh, makes their company more valuable over time. And, uh, that's, but there can be lots of double underline or triple underline uh, businesses that have other goals. Um, so that you have to consider, uh, do those align with your own personal goals uh, over, over your lifetime? Um, and then uh, we talked about some aspects of the mercenary. Um, it can be um, quite, uh, quite profitable to work at a startup uh, if you're fortunate enough to work at one uh, where the equity value goes up a great deal. Um, as I said, the, the probability is uh, somewhat slanted. Um, that uh, there's a, depending on the size and scale of the venture that you're uh, joining. So um, if current income's uh, a, a big onus for you or, um, you know, some other aspect of your uh, earning potential uh, that you're trying to maximize, um, I would just carefully think about um, whether the, the entity that you're joining is, is matching <laughs> your, own, um, your own goals on, on an economic sense, because um, there are uh, a lot of differences uh, uh, potentially. Um, what's that? Oh, one minute. So I think those are, you know, some of the, the interesting ways. Um, I would just think, again encourage you to um, to be fairly methodical um, rather than just joining the cool thing. Um, I think there's a huge gravitation of folks to try to uh, go join uh, uh, well-known brands, um, particularly on the consumer side. That can be exciting. Um, most often those have uh, a lot of weakness in their uh, business um, and a lot of risk. Um, so I'd encourage you to think of both uh, the ups and the downs. Um, but uh, I don't know, that was as fast as I could go to try to pack 20 years of uh, selection into uh, 20 minutes. But um, hopefully that was helpful. So. Thank you. that I made them pack all this experience into a short amount of time, but I just, there's so much to know that I wanted to give you
have or have them really give you a flavor for everything. Um, and then you can ask questions. So now we, we've sort of heard about you have the offer. Technically, is this a good offer I'm willing to sign? Is this a company in an industry I think is going to prosper and give me the experience I want? Um, and now Rachel and Greg are going to talk to you more about, you know, how does this impact your career? Um, and again, from a recruiter's perspective, you're getting experience today that they're going to try to take you and put you somewhere else tomorrow or help you on your career path. And they've seen who succeeds in startups and who doesn't. So really advice about how working for a startup can, um, you know, imp impact your career positively and, and think maybe to watch out for. I think I can, is it okay if I sit for this? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, I'll pop over a little bit. Hi guys, so um, it's really exciting to be back. I know actually most of you in the room, um, how are you guys doing today? I know you guys just got back on campus. Um, yeah, so I'm drawing from a lot less experience. I've been working for essentially seven months, but have garnered a lot of data points and have learned a lot in this short amount of time. Um, I guess for those that don't know me, I just graduated in 2019. I served as student body president last year. Um, and I kind of fell into entrepreneurship. To be honest, I was pretty frustrated with how slow things move at our institution. And I was like, oh, if I can apply an entrepreneurial mindset, maybe that would make things go faster. So I went to New York Tiger Track, and that's kind of how I was exposed to, for me, what I thought um, was probably the basis of most of the entrepreneurial frameworks and also venture capital, which is kind of I can, I'll get into kind of the company that I'm working for now, um, but essentially I got introduced to the company that I'm working for through my thesis, which I was looking at status reproduction and in hiring and venture capital. So that's how I ended up at True. Um, I know it's not a brand that I was familiar with. One, I didn't even know that the industry of executive search even existed. I was like, what is an executive search? What do they do? Essentially, it boils down to finding executives like CEOs, CFOs, um, board members, and um, essentially finding the best in the market and placing them into companies. Um, so a little bit about True, um, they are really, like what was exciting to me is they are disrupting a pretty old industry. I mean, it, there are the Shrek firms, which you might have heard of, maybe not. I don't think I ever heard of them, but they're kind of the incumbents. Um, and essentially in the past seven years, they've become the seventh largest firm in North America, which is amazing. And in the past year alone, they have grown 64%, which I was like, that's an amazing growth rate. Like, I want to see why this is growing. Um, and some of the companies that we work with are like Spotify, Glossier, Juul, Google, like these companies that are consumer. I mean, we do a lot of enterprise as well, but like exciting companies to see what they're looking for in execs. Um, and in terms of what I do on my day-to-day, -day, so I work for the parent company. So our platform has the executive search, which is what Greg does. Um, but we're also launching a venture capital fund is what, which, um, is what I'm working on for 90% of my day. And then we also have a CRM platform built specifically. It's kind of like a Salesforce, but spe spe sorry, specifically for recruiters. And then we also have executive coaching where um, executive coaches will look at an executive team, figure out the gaps, and do agile action plans to figure out where to fill those gaps. Um, yeah, so that's essentially what I'm doing now. And Greg, do you want to give a little intro? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's a good example of how in a startup you do many things and uh, your day-to-day uh, -day can change quite often. 
Um, I'm on the recruiting side of things. So um, when I started, uh, we were doing quite a bit of strategic hiring. So uh, really anywhere from a high level individual contributor uh, up through VP uh, and then in the C-suite. Um, and one of the things that I think we hope to bring here is kind of the recruiter lens. Uh, when we uh, initiate with one of our clients, you know, obviously there's a, a end role that needs to be filled uh, and there's a skill set behind it. Uh, but typically there's different types of profiles that could potentially fit. And so what we do is chat with our clients um, throughout the course of our search about uh, those different types of backgrounds. Uh, and see you know, what resonates with them. And oftentimes it's kind of an evolving process. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, what we've seen is uh, people be successful who have taken uh, many paths, whether they be you know, startup to startup or a large company to startup or somewhere in between. Uh, and we work from companies you know, anywhere from uh, seed stage up through uh, public. Um, uh, to, you know, typically they're in the technology sector, but that's across all, all practice areas. Uh, so hopefully we can bring some sort of a lens in terms of the path you choose and uh, how you'll be able to maneuver uh, moving forward from there. Yeah, so um, this is essentially the framework we're going to try to get through in the next 15 minutes. One, criteria to negotiate and factors to consider, which um, our speakers have already gone over, but we'll kind of reiterate some of them. Um, kind of long and short-term benefits and implications, and then personality factors to consider when thinking about should I do you want to start in the first place and then go through um, some possible career trajectories and exit options? Um, also, we just want to start with, um, so if you do have an offer, regardless if it's to a startup or not, just the statistics alone are that only 7% of undergraduate women and 30% of undergraduate men even attempt to negotiate. So we included a framework that will be sent out after this. Um, we didn't really want to take time, but this is kind of a little infographic for how to negotiate a salary. Um, so in terms of things that you can negotiate with a startup offer, um, things that I didn't even think about, you can um, look at your offer acceptance deadline. Um, I know some companies send out exploding offers, which can put a lot of pressure when you're kind of navigating, navigating different offers. So that is something you can always negotiate. Um, location, that definitely depends on the company, but that's something that you can um, negotiate well as well, um, start date. My start date was set for four days after graduation. I pushed it back. Um, base salary, bonus structure, even a relocation stipend, that's something that people don't often think about, but that is um, a cushion to get you started. Um, fringe benefits that are like health related, um, look for healthcare. Um, other fringe benefits that might be like a cell phone reimbursement or a gym reimbursement, like all of these things that you might not think about, but like add up and paint a bigger picture for what you could be looking for. Um, equity, which has already been gone over and even continued education, like our company um, pays for up to, I believe, $5,000 of continued education. So I took class on machine learning this fall and I'm going to continue taking classes on my own time because I can get paid to learn. So that's something you should con um, continue to keep in mind. Um, other factors to consider when you're thinking about your overall, um, I guess, offer is think about the product and the team. Um, the people that you'll be working with, I love the people at True. Like, honestly, it's awesome that Greg has come with me. Um, but, like, I really look forward to going to work every day, and that's not something I thought I'd be able to say. Um, even thinking about your commute, if you're going to be commuting into SF, like, think about, like, if it's an hour and a half commute, like, 
is that important to you? Like, what kind of time do you want to be spending doing that? Um, in terms of growth, thinking about your personal growth within the company, as well as your professional growth, which I would say later we can talk about that and break them into two separate pieces. Um, also, even articulating what your concerns are is a really good exercise because maybe that's an area where you can continue to monitor within your first year. Um, vacation, PTO, um, this is something we can probably talk about as well, but a lot of startups offer unlimited PTO. I think that is a double-edged sword. A lot of people end up not even taking vacation time off when they have unlimited PTO, but that's something to consider. And then um, thinking about your criteria and roadmap for promotions, like ask about that, know what the next steps are. And if they don't have that, maybe creating your own structure. Um, and at the end of the day, it all comes down to a gut feeling after analyzing all the data points. Uh, and I think just uh, like an overarching uh, part on all those points is sometimes it feels like you shouldn't ask these things or you shouldn't bring them up. It's going to be a negative. But I think uh, oftentimes in a startup, if you're having the foresight to think through these things, um, they're going to be looking for individuals that um, you know are thinking outside the box and are, are, are not just uh, going with the status quo, because uh, I think ultimately, uh, you know, your day to day, there's going to be a lot of kind of figuring things out. Uh, and maneuvering. So if you're coming to the table um, and you know, you know what uh, your ideal situation is uh, and, and you're showing that you're already maneuvering, I think that that's generally a, a plus. Um, you know, some things to consider. There's obviously uh, pluses and minuses with you know, anything you're going to do in life and especially in your career. Um, so just kind of taking a look at, uh, you know, breaking down early versus later in your career if you do choose to go to a startup. Um, you know, if you go to a startup, uh, one of the big uh, benefits and really what should be a driver for you is the immediate impact. Um, so it's going to be a small team. Uh, you're going to be tasked with a lot of things. Uh, typically, uh, every day is going to be a little bit different. Um, and it, uh, if you're the type of person that wants to be able to get in and, and kind of work hard and, and solve some problems to really move the needle, uh, you're probably going to have a better opportunity to do that in a startup than a larger company where uh, you're often going to be working within a framework that's already been um, established. Um, with that, um, you know, I think that there are, um, you know, some cons that come with it. Um, obviously, work-life balance is going to be a consideration. Um, people in startups are, are working uh, often very long hours through the weekends, uh, et cetera. So, uh, you know, with those benefits, uh, you'd have to consider that. Um, but there are other, uh, you know, uh, positive upsides, including, you know, it's a high-risk, high-reward situation. I think we've talked about uh, kind of the financial implications or the ability to grow a company, uh, which is always a nice thing. So, you know, ultimately, if you are putting in uh, long hours, hopefully there should be some sort of payoff. Um, you're also getting exposure to a lot of different components of a business. Um, so if you're not quite sure what, um, you know, function you want to be a part of, if you're starting a startup, you're probably going to have a chance to get involved in uh, many different components of the business. I think Rachel's a really good example uh, where she's come in and there's been, you know, pivots in the things that we've done and she's uh, kind of rolled with the punches and then really contributed across different uh, revenue lines for us. Um, you know, the other thing to consider is that if you do join a startup and you're brought in for one specific thing, uh, there's a possibility that you do get a little bit uh, pigeonholed in, into one thing. So, um, if it's uh, a business focusing on one thing and you're working on one um, component within that business and you continue to go down that road, um, typically a startup is going to be somewhat unique by nature. So uh, when you look to move from that company, 
if you've only been focusing in, in one niche in a, a niche business, then you're going to have to find a way to kind of expand uh, out of that, uh, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later. Um, later in your career, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of pros, especially if things are successful. Um, uh, you know, you're better equipped to start your own company. Um, we see a lot of folks that um, are, are part of a business that scales successfully. Um, and then they may decide that they want to go back to another business that is looking about the same as the one that they started and they want to scale again. Uh, other people say, I've already done this work. We've already scaled it. You know, I'm ready to move on to a more mature company. Uh, perhaps I can consult other businesses. So you do have some options there. Um, and then from a con side, you know, later in your career, um, you know, you could be worn out. I mean, you could really put pour yourself into a startup that um, is viable for a long period of time and doesn't reach the level of success that uh, you were hoping that it would. Uh, and then if you find yourself later in your career and you've spent all your time at this one startup and it hasn't uh, developed, then you need to find a way to kind of pivot out of that. So I think one of the considerations here is, and I think we mentioned it before, uh, you know, with gut feeling is you will get a feeling when you start working for a startup, how things are developing. Um, you know, is the leadership team doing the things that you would expect them to do for the business to be successful? And I think all of those things will be important for you to keep in mind throughout uh, your time there to make sure that you're uh, ultimately joining a successful organization or uh, making the decision to pivot to another organization. Um, yeah, so in terms of personality factors, when you're considering when you have an offer in hand and maybe you're also juggling other competing offers as well, is your risk tolerance. And depending on whether this is very early stage or maybe a little bit um, later in growth stage, I think that from what I've observed, um, at least from our Princeton peers, people tend to skew risk um, intolerant, I would say for myself, I tend to mitigate risk. So when I was thinking through whether to accept an offer from a startup, um, just kind of keeping that in mind and knowing that I probably need to structure when there's a lot of ambiguity. And that's something that you also have to ask yourself, like, what is your comfort with ambiguity? Will you be able to operate or will you shut down? Um, also, com that comes with the ability to manage up. I think that it's a huge opportunity when there's a lot of ambiguity and not a ton of structure to ask for what you need from, um, I guess, uh, leadership and create your own structure. Um, and that also comes from being able to read the leadership. I think that comes with EQ. Um, I think that being able to understand, I guess, how leadership um, teams work together is going to be a very valuable skill. And knowing, I think for me, something that I'm still really developing is understanding, I guess, maybe the, like, of course, on paper, there are direct reporting structures and you have your org chart, but like understanding maybe the informal internal politics like how do things actually get done in a firm like that is something that you should be aware of and if that's a skill that you need to tune up like that may be something that that you want to work on um again ability to um operate without structure in these startups there is a lot of ambiguity a lot of flux um i didn't really have a role or a description a job description so being able to create that and define your own role like that's going to be pivotal if you want to um, really succeed and add value to this company and also learn a ton in the process um do you want to talk about something yeah so uh gravitas is kind of uh like an overused recruiting industry uh word and it 
the meaning is a little bit uh, it's ambiguous, but um, it goes along with professional uh, presence. So uh, I think a key thing, especially early on in your career, is um, you know when you're dealing with potential employers, um, you know while it's an interview and while they're going to be asking you questions, uh, it should also be a conversation. These are people that you're going to be working with. This is an opportunity to show your personality. Uh, ultimately, these are going to be small teams, so you know how you fit within. Uh, kind of the social um, component of a, of a startup is going to be important uh, and you'll develop that over your career. But I think um, as an example, uh, we do quite a bit of work in venture. Uh, we talk with quite a bit of folks coming out of investment banking, maybe one or two years in their career. Um, I know your next slides are good. So. Oh, okay. Well, Thanks. Thanks. We'll I'm, uh, we'll I'm, I'm lingering on too far. No, 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 no. absolutely. And I, I know you have a whole answer. Um, but I think what we see is sometimes, uh, hey, this is an interview. I'm here to answer questions. And it doesn't become a conversation. But ultimately, the, the folks that are most successful uh, make it conversational. And the answers to the questions that the, the folks that you're chatting with come out in that conversational um, capacity. So I think it's something uh, that's important to think about as I think people are geared towards receiving questions from an interview, but really there is uh, significant back and forth. Right? Um, exit options. Um, so I think this, this is uh, another one that we've kind of touched on here. So um, you've joined a startup. Hopefully it's been successful. You've scaled it. Uh, we see quite a few uh, individuals that will go back to startups uh, and try to scale them at a similar level. Um, startups are always looking to bring in individuals who have seen what they're hoping to see. Um, so people who know uh, the, the fences that you're going to have to climb and kind of the unexpected things as you scale up uh, from a revenue and size perspective. Um, so you always have the option to go back and, and do that again. Um, again, you may uh, scale a business and say, I put in my work, now I want to continue with a larger, more established company. Uh, perhaps you want to inject uh, kind of a startup mindset into uh, a larger business that's looking to become a little bit more innovative in whatever space that you've been working. Uh, so you have your option there. Um, you know, you can consult. Um, certainly you've seen quite a few things and there's uh, an appetite for that and you don't need to necessarily commit yourself fully to that next step. Um, you've seen what a successful startup looks like, so uh, you now have tools to potentially start your own business if you'd like to do that. Uh, you've gone through the motions, you've seen the things that you need to worry about. Um, and then the other thing, uh, which we say kind of jokingly, is you, know, you can retire because you've made so much money and everything's been so successful, which you know I think at the end of the day uh, is, a, is a component and a benefit of potentially joining a startup. Um, yeah, so Greg touched upon this um, and actually, I think this prepared me very well. Two weeks ago, I had a mini quarter life crisis. So I collected 50 data points across many different industries and um, from people in all um, stages of their career. And essentially, these were the exit options that they said, hey, look, like you still, still have in front of you. Um, of course, joining another startup, um, even pivoting. And I think that going back to grad school or getting your MBA is also a very good way to pivot your career. Um, going back and joining an established company and as greg said um consulting and really the bottom line because we already have this foundational um princeton uh education i think that i mean we're all smart people we can think on our feet and really apply ourselves and um all options are still on the table um so the main three takeaways i know we've thrown a lot of information at you um would be one when you get that offer if you can, 
negotiate everything, the worst they can say is no. Um, two, you need to consider your own risk appetite and long-term goals. Um, I think by keeping your end goal in mind, even if what you end up doing right out of college is not your end goal, you can still work towards building skills that will get you closer to your end goal. Um, also, uh, remember, if your first startup isn't successful, you can still leverage the experience to anything you do in the future. Um, and also, I think that this is really important to be able to articulate and create a narrative and whether it's successful or not successful, being able to have that narrative in mind and keeping that in mind as you're picking projects and, um, yeah, essentially just figuring out where you want to spend your time. Um, and also just as a reassurance, you have many viable exit options. Um, and I just want to reiterate, like, yes, we can give you a lot of guidelines, but at the end of the day, um, really going with your gut is probably going to serve you the best. Um, also, we don't have time for this, but we did include additional resources that will be sent out. I'll just fly through these slides really quickly just to give you the overview of what would be in them, but happy to discuss anything afterwards. Um, so this is kind of a framework for how I've helped other others evaluate. Um, one friend had a comp, um, had offers from Microsoft, um, Bessemer, and a stealth uh, healthcare startup, and we were able to negotiate all three. Um, so that was an interesting, uh, I guess, like the framework that we used to kind of evaluate all three of the startups and what her end goal was, um, was interesting and helpful. Um, some tactical takeaways before the job, kind of thinking through like, if you want to sign them, there are five um, things right there. And then during the job, like once you've actually gotten on the job, this is kind of the framework that I've created for myself when I was like, whoa, am I in the right place? Do I need to reevaluate? Do I need to pivot? Um, I guess I can go through this really quickly, but three month check-ins, whether it's with a peer or a mentor, that's super helpful. Um, I try to do hypothesis-driven quarters. I test two to four things each quarter to see where I'm growing and uh, pivot as necessary. Actually free writing a reflection. I'm not the hugest writer, but like sitting down and actually forcing yourself to process what you've learned in the past three months has been really helpful. Um, also creating a one page executive summary. I think this not only helps with like when you have to update your resume, but like being able to remember tangibly like what have you um, contributed to the company, whether that's high, low impact, you can evaluate that. Um, and then also within this executive summary, mapping out your top three contributions, learning moments, and areas of improvement. And this is kind of what my reflection, or I mean, one pager looks like. And then, oh, um, the, I think we can probably stop here, but um, if you have moments of panic or doubt, which may happen um, from the people I've talked to that have worked in startups, like that is normal. And it's good to be able to take a step back and be like, hey, look, yeah, there's a lot of ambiguity and might be really overwhelming right now, but I can structure this. And um, yeah, so this is kind of a framework for how to uh, deal with that. Perfect, thank yeah. you. And is there, if anyone is in here who didn't sign up, come give me your email address because um, our you know presenters have all generously agreed that we can share their presentation. So if there's something that you missed, um, so why don't we open it up just to a couple of, you know, questions to the whole group and then we can mingle a bit. Yes. I have a question. I think it's um, applicable to everyone. Um, I'm something that I personally don't really know how to think about um, is how to negotiate 
um, salary versus equity, and like if it's ever worth it to um, take more equity and a salary cut, because I don't really know how to think like how much am I worth to this startup. Um, what's your framework for thinking about that? And do you ever think it's a good idea in the first place? Well, I, I'll take a first shot, but um, probably all have our own, own perspectives on it. Um, the first thing is I want to reemphasize what Rachel said and what's sort of at the heart of my presentation as well, which is do not hold back on negotiating. Um, always feel free to ask. Um, you know, don't make the assumption, I can't say anything, they'll hate me, they'll take the offer away, it's not going to get any better. Um, even larger companies, even fairly rigid offers, there's places in there where they may be able to do something, and, and it would be very rare that you'd lose anything by asking. So, first of all, feel free to ask. Um, the second thing is, you know, the, the equity versus cash thing is, is absolutely the old bird in the hand versus the two in the bush. Um, the, the, there is, a, I think, a sort of natural risk among uh, people with an entrepreneurial mindset. It's like, you want to go for broke, you want the equity, you want the big payoff. You'll always, I mean, one of the things I talk about is different risk profiles, as Rachel did too, right? If you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you, you have a different approach to risk. And one of those things is you'll always bet on yourself. That's what makes you an entrepreneur. You always take the bet on yourself. There are a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with you while your bet may not pay off. So number one is you got to make sure you can afford it. Um, and these days, you know, with affordability, especially with housing and student loans and things like that, thankfully maybe student loans aren't as bad here as they are other places, but um, uh, that is a real factor. The second thing is, and, and it, I have to say it took me decades to understand this, um, which is uh, never mind what they can find out about your job history, never mind anything else. The salary you get is the building block for the next salary you get, the next salary you get, the next salary you get. So you accept a lower salary somewhat at your peril for what will happen to you in the future. Um, and I guess my third answer would be, given all the ways that equity may not come right, if you decide to trade for equity, and, and actually, I think the more likely thing is you've got two offers. And one is more equity rich and the other is more salary rich. Um, that's where you may want to play with when does that, when do I actually get that equity in my pocket? How long is it going to take? What are the conditions for it? What are the risks it doesn't come due? Um, so one difference may be, are we talking options or phantom? Or are you actually going to, you know, Am I really one of the first 10 people in? You don't think you can succeed without me? In which case, put up now. Let me see that equity now. Make me a shareholder, a real true shareholder who can come to meetings and vote. So the quality of that equity would also matter. I think you answered that yeah. <laughs> really well. <laughs> Other questions? I saw another hand. So I'm a PhD student here. Uh, I haven't get a full-time offer yet, but I did have some internship offer previously. Mm -hmm. My experience with HRs are not good. They're not very responsive. 
For example, when yeah. I get the internship offer, the deadline is very close, and I have a lot of other interviews going on. I don't think I can make a decision at the deadline. So I interview, uh, email the interview uh, uh, HR immediately. I say, can you extend the offer uh, at least like two weeks or something? She never replied back, although I follow up like twice. She finally replied after the deadline. So although we said there are so many things can negotiate, but if they don't respond, what should we do? Um, well, I'll jump in. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Uh, I guess the, the one thing I'd give you confidence in is that this is one of the most extraordinarily tight uh, employment markets um, mm -hmm. ever. So, so uh, I'm not sure I'd lose that much sleep over the circumstance you're describing. But if someone's not communicating with you, that sounds like a pretty good signal about how they treat their employees. Mm -hmm. and, and so I would there's lots of things you should interpret about their approach that uh, should influence how, how much you actually uh, invest in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my mother-in-law is a real estate agent. And from that perspective, she, she taught me a rule um, that I keep thinking about, I thought about again, which is um, basically before you close the deal, that's as good a relationship as you'll ever have. <laughs> right? It's like it's like before before your fiance asks you to get engaged, right? That's just good that's you know <laughs> you're in a strong position as you're gonna get. So if, if that's the way you're being treated now, that is totally a signal about how that company treats its employees. And you know, if it's a big employer, sometimes you have to decide to suck that up, but otherwise it's a signal. Right. And we had a question here? Yeah, um, I guess my question. I was going to say, I could just say um, in the beginning, um, when you're starting to chat with these companies, you can let them know that you're in other processes. That'll be helpful for how they view you. And then that will let them know that there is a timeline involved. Um, and I would always make sure I get a phone number um, so you can call them. Uh, emails are forgotten. They go into the shuffle. So you can call people. People in HR will be fine with that sometimes. You know, things move on and uh, outside of their hands. So never, uh, never be hesitant to give them a call. Actually, I'm going to throw out one more, one more thought to you. Um, first of all, definitely get the cards of the people that you interview with or who they recruit you, because sometimes you want that as a back channel. Um, you also all have a back channel, which is highly powerful, that you may not fully realize, which is you are Princeton alumni. Okay, and. I will tell you that there, there has almost never been a time in my experience where I couldn't simply go LinkedIn, who at this company went to Princeton and call them and say, I am at Princeton or I have graduated from Princeton. I am considering something with your company. Can I just talk to you about the company? And the no's will, will be very few in number. And most other alumni will happily answer the phone for you. Um, take advantage of it. Can I add to that phone call thing? Actually, HR did, I did have her phone number, but I hesitate a lot whether that's appropriate to call them. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, you should. I mean, from my perspective, you absolutely should because okay. worst case scenario, you, you leave a voicemail and at least you've tried to get to them immediately because, you know, email can be, you know, a whole other form of communication. And if someone picks up their phone, then you'll have your answer right away and it'll, you'll be top of mind for that individual. To, Question over here. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess my question would be more for Tom. So if you're looking at a startup 
and you're evaluating based on criteria like how much revenue they have, like what their growth rate is, but that information is not always publicly available, like you guys mentioned. Um, what source do you look for to give you the hardest data you can find on the future of the company? Is it Crunchbase? Sometimes people debate the weight of the valuation of the company as a good sign as to where it's going. Like, what, what is something that you can grasp onto? Um, so, again, I, I'd be shocked. Most uh, startups are pretty loose with information. So I think okay. the verbal questioning is you're probably going to get directional ranges that are sufficient. Um, much, but there are lots of, of data sources. The things I would look at um, for success markers are more like things like Glassdoor, where you can measure um, how much hiring they're doing, how quickly they're growing, um, things that, um, uh, and then I would look at their capital raising, um, both uh, their investors as well as amounts. You're probably not gonna get valuation information um, that uh, is particularly clean. Um, that's data that's usually not uh, widely shared. But those would be the kind of success indicators that I would look at would be, again, employee headcounts um, over time and then capital raising, uh, depending on the stage of business that you're considering. Thank you. Awesome. You know, it's we're getting towards the end, so I want to make sure you guys have enough one-on-one -on -one time because I'm guessing some of you in the room may have one-on-one -on -one questions. So, but as I said, I will send out the presentations to everyone who registered. If you didn't register, um, come find me and give me your email and I'll add you to the list. I want to thank our speakers, um, especially Rachel and Greg who drove here in this terrible, terrible weather. And you guys did drive here, but a little bit less far away. But I thank you very much anyway. I would have walked. <laughs> I did walk, but only because Neil shamed me into it. Um, <laughs> I had an umbrella. Um, no, but thank you. And these are Princeton alums and resources for you. And honestly, you'll find that the Princeton Network is great. Again, uh, the Entrepreneurship Council, we have office hours platform with a lot more alums as well who are ready to help you if you have questions about an offer about it about your career, about a specific company, about your own startup idea. Um, we're all here to help you. So. Or a question about how to tap into the network. Um, yeah. If you're not yes. sure exactly how to, how to go about that. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. And thanks to all of you for coming out in this weather. <laughs> Thank you.